An Air Force AT-3 jet trainer crashed in Kaohsiung on Tuesday, killing its pilot. Second Lieutenant Xu Dajun was on a solo training mission and crashed five minutes after taking off. The presidential office has expressed condolences to the pilot's family. It has also ordered the defense ministry to conduct a thorough investigation of the incident. The weather conditions in Gangshan district were very good today and were very suitable for training. The trainee was alone in the aircraft. After he had taken off and while preparing for the first practice route, he reported via radio that the plane conditions were normal. Planes do not take off if there are large flocks of migratory birds overhead and the airport has controls on birds. Pilots only take off in low-risk conditions. Second Lieutenant Xu Dajun was on a solo training mission. The flight path was at an altitude of just 500 meters, which is very low. That gave the pilot very little time to respond to emergencies. For a pilot with so little experience, the flight was a very big risk because planes encounter malfunctions or mechanical problems. Planes even crash into birds. The AT-3 is old. It's been in use for almost 40 years. Such an old model will inevitably have mechanical issues. The AT-3 trainer was developed jointly by Taiwan and the U.S. in the 1970s and has been in service for almost 40 years. Taiwan's Air Force plans to replace the aging model and its F-5 fleet with the Taiwan-made Brave Eagle jet trainer. So far, only two indigenous trainer jets have been delivered. The remaining 64 planes are due by 2026. U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth is in Taiwan on her second visit in a year. At a Tuesday reception for the senator, President Tsai Ing-wen thanked the U.S. for standing behind Taiwan. Duckworth emphasized that, Taiwan, that Washington's support was not limited to defense issues, but that it also included economic affairs. Warm greetings are exchanged as the two meet again. It's U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth's second visit to Taiwan in a year, and President Tsai Ing-wen once again received the senator in person. Last June, Duckworth had arrived by military plane. During her three-hour whirlwind visit, she announced that the U.S. would donate vaccines to Taiwan. At the time, Senator Duckworth said that the United States would not let Taiwan stand alone. This statement was quite moving to the people of Taiwan. I would like to thank the U.S. government and Congress for prioritizing the peace and stability of the Taiwan Strait. I would also like to thank Senator Duckworth in particular for her many years of attention to Taiwan security issues. I am so pleased to be here to, again, reiterate that the United States stands with Taiwan and you will not stand alone. Duckworth serves on the Senate's Armed Services Committee and is a long-term friend of Taiwan. She proposed the Taiwan Partnership Act passed by the Senate last year and introduced the Strengthened Taiwan Security Act just this month. She also signed a letter to U.S. President Joe Biden calling for Taiwan to be included in the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework for Prosperity. On Tuesday, she reiterated that the U.S. stood behind Taiwan. So while I um, want to emphasize our support for Taiwan security, I do want to say that it is more than just about military, it's also about the economy. I will close by saying that there is tremendous support for Taiwan within the legislative branch. 
Um, our president um, has shown his support for Taiwan. You've heard from our military. With regard to the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework proposed by the U.S. government, Taiwan will continue to express its willingness to participate. We also expect that, in the short term, Taiwan and the U.S. will take new steps to develop concrete plans that deepen the Taiwan-U.S. economic and trade partnership. President Tsai said new paths would be paved for even closer Taiwan-U.S. cooperation. During her latest Taiwan visit, Duckworth is meeting not just the president, but also Premier Su Zhenchang, Economics Minister Wang Meihua, and Foreign Minister Joseph Wu. Duckworth is scheduled to depart Taiwan on Wednesday. China sent 30 warplanes into Taiwan's air defense zone on Monday, marking its second largest incursion this year. China has been ramping up its provocation of Taiwan, raising concerns across the Indo-Pacific. In a recent Japan poll, some 90% of respondents said Japan should be ready to respond in the event of a Taiwan crisis. Taiwan issues radio warnings to PLA warplanes in the airspace south of the island. On Monday, China sent 13 military planes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone in its second largest incursion so far this year. Besides sending radio warnings, Taiwan deployed defense missile systems to track the planes. Amid a stream of PLA incursions, U.S. President Joe Biden said recently that if China used force against Taiwan, the U.S. would intervene militarily. This marks Biden's third such claim on Taiwan defense, writes the U.S.-based Atlantic magazine. It believes that Biden is deliberately moving away from strategic ambiguity in response to heightened Chinese threats. The CCP used to adopt a certain ambiguity in its cross-strait policy, but its methods have become more and more outrageous, and its threats don't only target Taiwan, but also Japan and the U.S. So Washington has been forced into becoming more explicit. According to the expert, China is preparing to expand its sea power across the Pacific Ocean. He says its foreign minister is on tour in the South Pacific to pave the way for missions past the second island chain. China's activities have raised concern among nations of the Indo-Pacific. In a recent poll, Japan's Nihon Keizai Shimbun asked if Japan should prepare for the event of China causing trouble in Taiwan. 50% of respondents said that preparations should be made within the scope of Japan's current laws. 40% said the law should be amended so that Japan has the option of a greater response. This meant that together, some 90% of respondents said Japan should prepare to respond to a Taiwan conflict. 90% of Japan's energy comes from transport lines surrounding the Taiwan Strait. So two or three Japanese prime ministers have already said that the Taiwan Strait is the lifeline of Japan's economy. A Taiwan emergency is an emergency for Japan. Japan is not on the sidelines. It is an involved party. The lawmaker said China's troublemaking was bringing other nations closer together. He said that through its expansionist policy, China was bringing more harm than gain to itself. Starting July 1st, international driving permits issued in Taiwan will feature the English word Taiwan on their cover. The new cover will keep the words Republic of China, which appears in both English and Chinese. Permits with the old cover will continue to be valid until their expiration date. International permits issued in Taiwan are recognized in 95 countries and territories on a reciprocal basis. Prior to the pandemic, the Transport Ministry issued up to 200,000 
international driving permits a year. Amid COVID, the rate has dropped between 30,000 and 40,000 per year. The permits have a validity of three years and the issuance fee is 250 NT. Since the outbreak of the Russia-Ukraine war, more than 3 million Ukrainians have been forced to leave their homes and escape to neighboring countries. The Czech Republic has accepted over 300,000 refugees. An NGO in Prague has rented a hotel to house Ukrainian refugees. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang is in Prague with the details. Over 300,000 Ukrainian refugees have entered the Czech Republic since the war began. An NGO in Prague is providing housing for 290 refugees. Through colors in her drawing book, this is Anna, a three-year-old Ukrainian refugee who recently arrived in Prague with her mother. They take language courses with volunteers and social workers at this hotel. Originally, I am from Ukraine, Kiev, but my parents moved here uh, 20 years ago, and uh, for all of my life, I've been living here in Czech Republic. For me, it's very important to uh, help uh, these people because uh, I feel part of them uh, as a Ukrainian, and I, I couldn't imagine myself uh, at any other place than here in the refugee hotel. This is the biggest room or place in the hotel. The Organization for Aid to Refugees, based in Prague, provides free housing, food, legal and social counseling, language training programs, and other services. So far, it has housed some 290 Ukrainian refugees in a hotel. The hotel was renovated to accommodate Ukrainian refugees. It has signs in both Czech and Ukrainian. The walls are filled with children's drawings and photos. We provide accommodation, which is the main thing, and then also free of charge food. We try to get the children to schools as soon as possible, so almost all the Ukrainian children living here are already at, in Czech schools. And we try now to focus more on finding jobs to Ukrainian women. We need mainly financial donations because we must provide a lot of Czech language courses and then adaptation courses for the children because the governmental plan is that as of 1st September the children will be at schools and the mothers at, at jobs. According to data from the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, 3.06 million Ukrainian refugees have fled their country since the start of Russia's invasion. The Czech Republic has accepted over 300,000 refugees from neighboring countries. The majority are women, children and older people with underlying vulnerabilities such as chronic illness and mental and physical disabilities. As of this May, 324,850 refugees who arrive in the Czech Republic have been granted temporary protection visas with access to the labor market and a monthly stipend. We accommodate here 290 refugees. Almost all of them are women with uh, smaller babies, some elderly people. And we also run an operation of first reception point in the Prague train station, which received one month ago six to 9,000 refugees daily from Ukraine, now six to 900 daily, which is still a lot for the Czech Republic because annually the Czech Republic receives 1,000 to 2,000 asylum applications, not more. So to have suddenly 324,000 new 
refugees from Ukraine is a huge operation and challenge for the Czech society and also for our organization. Taiwan has donated 2.5 million U.S. dollars to help Ukrainian refugees who have fled to the Czech Republic. He Liang Rei, director of the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office in Prague, says that his office supports Czech charities that help Ukrainian refugees. The people of Taiwan donated to the government. In addition to directly assisting Ukrainian refugees, our government also cooperates with countries in Central Europe that are helping Ukrainian refugees. We care very much about the resettlement of Ukrainian refugees. We also believe that Central and Eastern European countries, including the Czech Republic, have provided a lot of refugee assistance. After receiving donations from the public, the government decided to provide 2.5 million US dollars to Czech charities to assist in the resettlement of Ukrainian refugees. The Czech Republic and Taiwan are extending their support to Ukrainians. Officials urge the public to join the effort and offer donations to people in need. FTV reporters Stephanie Yang and Huang Ritsun in the Czech Republic. Taiwan reported more than 80,000 local COVID infections on Tuesday. New Taipei had the highest number of cases at more than 14,000. Taizong and Kaohsiung followed with more than 10,000 cases each. Also on Tuesday, the CECC relaxed its rules for releasing moderate to severe COVID cases from hospital isolation. Let's hear from the CECC. The new release criteria for severe COVID patients is as follows. Once 15 days pass since symptom onset or a positive test, another PCR test is administered. If the CT value is between 27 and 30, an infectious disease specialist or a thoracic specialist will be consulted before release. Hospitals may also form an interdisciplinary group to conduct a comprehensive evaluation. Then the patient can be transferred out from a negative pressure ward or a specialized ward if the patient is deemed suitable for a transfer. For moderate patients, the release criteria will be made the same as those for mild or asymptomatic cases. The new release guidelines will come into effect on Wednesday. Also starting Wednesday, nasal swab tests will be replaced with PCR saliva tests for all international arrivals. After providing a test sample, all passengers will be permitted to proceed through customs and onto their quarantine site without waiting for their test results. Parents are rushing their kids to vaccination centers amid reports of COVID deaths and severe symptoms among young children. So far, more than half of critical child cases have developed encephalitis, a serious condition in which the brain becomes inflamed. Doctors say that for now, vaccination is the best defense a child can have against severe illnesses. Children too young for a COVID vaccine are advised to get a flu shot, which could offer some protection against severe symptoms. The child cries out in fear as the syringe approaches. His father holds on tight as other parents try to console the boy to get the vaccination done with as soon as possible. I heard there was this opportunity to get our kids vaccinated here. We heard that outside of school, it's hard to get an appointment for child vaccinations. The school offered this opportunity and put up a registration form, so we signed up our kid. Young children don't have good defenses against this disease, so it's safer to get them vaccinated as soon as possible. It gives peace of mind to everyone. At Chang'an Elementary School and its affiliated preschool, 323 children were vaccinated with Pfizer on Tuesday, while another 
other 32 children received Moderna. That means that more than half of the school students are now vaccinated. Amid reports of COVID deaths and severe infections among children, demand is high for vaccines. Originally, they were just going to get Moderna on this day, but it so happened that the Pfizer vaccine came just in time. Overall, vaccine coverage at school has gone up from some 30 percent to more than 50 percent. Parents are anxious to get their kids protected. So far, about 50 percent of children with severe COVID cases have developed encephalitis. There are no drugs that can be administered at that age, so we can basically only rely on vaccines. The U.S. is investigating their use in children under the age of five to authorize the vaccines for emergency use. If the U.S. grants approval, I think that Taiwan will be quick to follow. According to a report in the science journal Nature, influenza vaccines can cut the risk of developing severe COVID symptoms by 90 percent. Physicians say parents can get children under five vaccinated for the flu to boost their defenses against COVID-19. The resurgence of COVID has hit hospitality. One restaurateur in central Taipei went further than most in his efforts to stay on top. He built his own delivery platform to get around the middlemen and relied on small-scale local ordering to reduce wastage. Now he's delivering as far afield as New Taipei as takeout demands shows no sign of abating. A series of piping hot dishes are arrayed on the table. These customers are happy, but many are still concerned about the ramifications of the pandemic. If we're going to eat out in a restaurant, then we definitely want one where it feels like they're doing the health precautions well. Because we used to dine at such restaurants fairly frequently, we know what actions they take to reduce the spread of the virus. That's reassuring to us. So we have more of a chance to come and eat at restaurants like this. We only have a third of our old sales. In practice, of course, that means we can't cover our outlays in reality. As for takeaway, to be honest, before the pandemic, we would never rely on takeaway sales. We have so much space in the restaurant after all. When a takeaway order comes in, the kitchen roars into life. Freshly made dishes are packaged post-haste and entrusted to delivery riders. Restaurant owner Tao Yulong partnered with two major delivery platforms as the pandemic began, but they took a cut of more than 30%, biting into profits. So he built his own platform, offering takeaway boxes. Takeout and delivery platforms take quite a large cut. We can reduce the proportion of that cut dramatically by doing our own publicity. It's about 30% of the other platforms. That saves us a lot of money. Eating in was banned during the Level 3 alert last year. There were lots of idle hands in the restaurant. Tao suddenly thought of a chat group he was in with his local neighbors. He promoted his business on the group and began taking bookings twice a week at fixed times. The pre-orders told him exactly which ingredients to buy, allowing him to save on wasted inventory. Business was brisk, and his delivery range expanded from just the area around Taipei Main Station to as far afield as Shenkhen and Xingdian. If we get four or five orders, for us that means we can do a one-off service and delivery. As far as our turnover goes, to be honest, it is helpful. It's equivalent to the takings we'd get from three or four tables of diners in the restaurant. Business has been tough for restaurateurs during the pandemic, creating new delivery platforms, designing special takeout boxes, cultivating loyalty in the community. To survive, kitchen experts need to get creative. 
The world is moving toward net zero carbon emissions by the year 2050. According to the UN's International Labor Organization, an estimated 24 million green jobs will be generated by 2030. In view of this future demand for green talent, ITRI has launched the Net Zero School and the Talent Alliance to help develop the workforce Taiwan will need. Even in a pandemic, it's important to train talent for the future. ITRI invited industry representatives to an online event where it launched the Net Zero School and an alliance for cultivating green talent. The first thing, of course, is to look at the supply side, to look at net zero energy and the supply, etc. We'll also look at the demand side. We hope to improve energy efficiency, to save energy and reduce carbon emissions. We'll also go from the environmental angle. We will absolutely approach it from the angle of the manufacturing industry's verticals to propose strategies and technologies for achieving net zero sustainability. ITRI is laying the groundwork for the future. According to the UN's International Labour Organization, the global race to go net zero by 2050 will drive significant growth in green jobs. By 2030, 24 million jobs will open up in the green economy, and Taiwan will need to be ready. In our carbon reduction series, you can see how to cross into fields that haven't been crossed into before to learn new ways of developing green business opportunities. Carbon reduction practices and the future of its technologies are the pedagogical focus of our green talent training system. This is precisely what our industry urgently needs to elevate its capabilities and tackle the challenge of the Net Zero Sustainability Target. The Net Zero School offers three main courses divided into five series. It assists enterprises with a range of needs in cultivating outstanding green talent. It will serve as a helping hand that moves Taiwan closer toward net zero emissions.